Thank you very much. It's good to be here. See this podium? Uh, it's ugly, right? But I made this podium the very first year of school ministry because when I came here, we didn't have money for we didn't even have money to buy podiums. That's a true statement. So I had some uh, redwood. That's why it's made out of redwood because I had it. We didn't have money to buy that either. And uh, I made it in my shop. I made two of them. The other one is uh, destroyed. <laughs> it, it's, it's in my shop now. I think this will turn like this. Let me see if it will. Sorry. I should have come a little early and make sure that works. Okay, that does. So, yeah. So um, the Bethel story is kind of a great story. It's kind of a great story. It's a great story on lots of levels. It's obviously a great spiritual story in the sense of spiritual like people come here and get healed and they get saved and they get delivered and and um and that's kind of you know and i i think that that um the team's just done a wonderful job of, of working with god and, and helping to equip people to do that to reproduce that and that's been awesome i think the business side of Bethel's really interesting too when i first came to bethel we were in pretty serious financial trouble um, in the sense that we didn't have any cash. You know, you can have lots of assets, but it's hard to pay your bills with them or feed your children. <laughs> like, yes, we own this property, and it's worth a million more than we owe on it. It's a little hard to feed your children with that. So um, we did have some assets, but we, we, were, we were struggling to even pay our employees. We would um, oftentimes hold our checks before, you know, for an extra Sunday, and do all kinds of crazy things that business people... How many of you are actually in business? Like you own a business. Oh, so you're, you're connecting with me, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like you've had to meet payrolls. How many have ever paced the floor the night before payroll? <laughs> I, I've paced, uh, you know. If you added up all the nights I paced to make payrolls, they would add up in the months. So, yeah, so we, so we really struggled here. And our total budget here when we started was $1.8 That was... That was everything. That was like if you gathered up all the money that came in from a candy bar to the, to the, you know, to the, the tithes, to everything, it was $1.8 million. And um, I think we ended this year with our 14 years later, $38 million is our budget this year. <coughs> and so God's just really done a great, it's just been amazing watching the Lord work and just taking some of the kingdom principles that we learned for business and bringing them into this world. And, you know, how many know that, you know, here we're, we're, we're serving people on, if you own a business, and as far as I'm concerned, a business is just as spiritual. I think there's a difference between Christians that own a business and a kingdom business. I, I think there's a lot of Christians, to be honest, and this isn't my subject, but I just feel prompted to say this, and we'll pray, and I'll change subjects in a minute. But I think there's a lot of Christians that have a dualistic kind of view of the, uh, their life, and so they, you know, they have their ministry or their spiritual life, however they would say it, and then they have their, and then they have their business. And um, you know, Bill taught me. Bill taught us years ago. You know, I was in business when I met Bill, and um, I was 22 when I owned my first business, or 23. And um, I remember, I can still remember Bill teaching out of um, Matthew 
uh, 6, where Jesus said, um, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I can still remember where I was sitting in that little sanctuary in Weaverville when Bill said, when you, when you seek God, when you seek the kingdom first, there is no second. So he said, when you're, when you're playing with your kids, it's the kingdom. If you work at McDonald's, it's the kingdom. And I remember specifically why the, why the concept was so powerful, because I suddenly realized that I didn't have a secular job. He said, there's no such thing as secular when you receive Jesus. From that day on, everything you do is the kingdom. And for me, you know, that was many, many years ago, 34 years ago. But for me, that shifted. It, it, it didn't shift what I did. It shifted the way I did it. And probably most importantly, it shifted why I did it. And suddenly I realized, like, at the time I owned a service station, and, at, and, I, and I thought, you know what? This service station is a landing pad for angels. It's, it's a place where people, they, why can't people experience the kingdom here like they would in the four walls of the church? And I started, and I, and I don't mean I thought it, all of that the first time I heard him share that, but it was the, you know, it's the catalyst. It was the catalyst to a different way of thinking for me. Because I, um, I would say to Bill in the early days, I want to go in the ministry and, you know, Bill would talk to me about, you're in the ministry. But I remember that when he taught that concept, that I suddenly actually got, you know, someone could tell you something a hundred times, but it's so funny. You know, my wife tells me things over and over, and then, you know, Daniel says something to me, and I'll come home and say, Danny said this, and she, I told you that ten times. <laughs> so you know how that goes. So, but I, I can distinctly remember when I got it. Like, I am not... Like, I am in the ministry. <laughs> the difference is where I minister. And the difference is who I minister to and what I do for ministry. But I am just as much... So people ask me all the time, like, well, when you came into full-time ministry, how, how different did that feel? They think I'm being sarcastic, because I do have a very sarcastic sense of humor, as most of you know. They think I'm being sarcastic when I said, I, I was always in the ministry. I never... I probably wasn't the first two years that I had my business, but when I met Bill, I was in the ministry. Like, from then on, he taught me, like, listen, if you think, and, the, and, the, what, and what makes, well, let's see, how do I say this? If I create expectation, I'll, I'll use a silly example. This will help the Pentecostal people. How many of you <laughs> were raised, Pente- not charismatic, but you raised Pentecostal? You'll, okay, this example. For us who were raised in the Pentecostal t- tradition, we didn't prophesy till we spoke in tongues, right? Yeah. Pentecostals, so we did. And then we, we prophesied. So my expectation was that you have to speak in tongues to prophesy. No one said that. It's just that's what was demonstrated to me. And then, and then I learned later on that people actually prophesied without doing that. Then I realized later on that you didn't actually have to sound like Shakespeare. Then I realized later on that you didn't have to have the stare. And then <laughs> little by little, I realized you didn't have to have music. And then, it, then I realized it didn't have to be inside of, uh, it didn't have to be in a meeting. Yeah. I mean, these are concepts now that like everybody gets and we're all laughing about it, but they were, they were not concepts. No one ever taught me you have to prophesy inside the church. 
That's the only place it was ever demonstrated. It was the only place where anyone ever gave a testimony. It was, I mean, like, how do you shamba in, at Walmart without them carrying you out? So the, our, our, our ministry was developed around the environment of church. So we, we trained and equipped with church in mind. We didn't think about those people. So, so our, we, our protocol we didn't fit any other venue because we didn't equip with any other venue in mind. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I, I, um, I, I learned, you know, all these concepts that I teach. I was just talking about it with Kathy and Beth. You know, I, all these concepts. Bill didn't teach us everything that, that, I mean, he doesn't teach everything I teach, but the concepts, the, 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 imp, you know, the impetus for everything that I, I am and teach came from his, from his concepts and that we could bring the, the, that we were royal priests and that when we go, whatever we do, we bring royalty with us. And, you know, those were all things I learned. And so um, I do think that there are Christians who have businesses and, that, oh, I know where I was going. If I was, oh, got that one. I was, I was, what I, what I was, what I learned from Bill is that I could expect what was going on in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. I could expect that. If it, no, if I expected that to happen in my business, it would. But if I didn't, it wouldn't. And that expectation was really faith. Like expectation was the fruit of faith. So if I believed that God could move in my business, and I, then I began to expect it, then he would. And so if I didn't expect God to move in my business, like I think, well, this is my business. This is business. And this is my ministry. I do that after business. I have youth group or whatever. I expect God to move in my youth group. But I don't expect God to move in my business. Well, I validate my own, it's self-fulfilled prophecies because he doesn't move in my business. Why doesn't he? I didn't expect him to. Why didn't I expect him to? I didn't have any faith for it. Why didn't I? My people perish for lack of knowledge. No one taught me that I was supposed to expect God to move in my business like he moved on Sunday. So I started slowly, this is a process, but I started thinking about how would God, okay, how could I take, you know, obviously, on, if, if I'm expecting God to move on in, in my youth group, because I was a youth pastor, so I expect God to move in, in, at youth group. You know, I mean, like, I'm thinking an hour before I get the kids come, I'm thinking, okay, wonder how God, what does God want to say? What does God want to do? What's it going to look like? You know, anyone who's ever done public ministry, you're like, okay, what's it going to look like, you know? And when you're young, you know, you're nervous about it. And you're, you know, thinking about, oh, man, what if he doesn't come, you know? What if he's busy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and what I found is that I had, I, I would actually prepare and think through what it would look like for God to come tonight with the kids. But I wouldn't do that when I went to work. Like, I didn't have the same expectation, like, Okay, what's it look like if God comes today? And, and, and partly it's because I had put I had uh, I had this I had a God box. So when God comes, He wants to do this. He wants to prophesy. He wants to heal the sick. Wants to cast out demons. That was my th- and those things are true, of course. That was my whole God box. Like I sort of forgot that He created the world. 
Like he did other stuff besides that. Do do, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I was, uh, I'm off subject, but I I feel compelled. I I will do what I said I would do, though. I I will do this. (laughs) I was uh, driving along, uh, driving, we were, I wasn't actually doing driving, I was sitting with, uh, we were going to the airport coming home from a particular country. And I was with the leader of I was with the leader of the country, uh, who was a, a woman. And um, she's very anointed, Holy Spirit, fall on the ground, get drunk, <laughs> totally amazing woman. And uh, we've become Kathy and I have kind of become like a, a mother and a father to her. So she's amazing. So we were going to the airport after being there about two weeks, and she pulled over and she said to me, "What does it look like when the kingdom comes?" Because when we've been teaching the kingdom, she said, what does it look like when the kingdom comes? I said, well, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, and cast out demons. And she said, well, when the sick are healed and, you, and the demons are gone and the dead are raised, then what do you do? I'm like, I don't know, because the only thing I've ever thought about is <laughs> I've never thought about how to create something positive. All I've thought about is how to fix what's wrong. And she sat there, and we, we were like, I can still, we were, you could see the airport. We were like five blocks from the airport, and we're sitting in the car, and tears are rolling down her eyes. And she said, she, and she asked me three times. And three times I said, you heal sick, raise dead. She goes, after that, then what? I, I finally said, you know what? I've actually never had a vision for anything beyond fixing what's broken. And so, you know, the question is, what does it look like? If you have a business, what's it look like when the kingdom comes? I mean, you know, not, not very many of us are going to, I understand there's all diversity of businesses here, but, you know, for, for most of us, you know, we're not going to, we're, 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 our daily activity is not going to be healing the sick. Our daily activity is not going to be casting out demons. Our, our daily activity is not going to be raising the dead. I'm talking about in our business. And, and if we like, we limit God to that, it's like, okay, hey, this is how God moves, right? Okay, God's going to move once a month here, or maybe twice, or, you know, we're going we're gonna to pray for a sick customer or an employee. It's all good, you know, if it's all, you know, whatever protocol. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know your business, so. But, I mean, God's not going to move very much if that's our only expectation. Like, this is how God moves. And so, so I think that, we, you know, what I'd like to create in you first is that wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. And, and so you're like, okay, that's cool. Okay, and I, then I'd like to create an expectation that, that the kingdom doesn't just look like kill the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Because if you think that, then you're not going to ask God about your finances. And I li- I'd like to propose to you that he's the best business guy in the world. <laughs> like, he actually knows the future, so, you know, giving him 10% is a great cut. Like, you get 90, he gets 10. <laughs> The best, um, the best message I ever heard on tithing was was uh, T.D. Jakes. I love T.D. Jakes. I, I only listen to two preachers. You probably wouldn't like the two I like. You already know one. I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> I didn't mean that. You wouldn't like that I only limit it to these two. But I, I love Joel Olstein. Yeah. People are like, he doesn't preach the gospel. I'm like, hmm, makes me feel good. Makes me feel like I can take the world for the kingdom when I get in and listen. And I love Joel, because Joel just like that, you know. My daddy taught me. 
And there's 60,000 people listening to him. And the guy acts like he came out of the backwoods of Alabama. And he's sharing stuff that is so amazing. And T.D. Jakes, he only has one point. He has one point messages. You want two points, you listen two weeks. (laughs) He's the only guy I know that can take one point and mesmerize you. And when he gets done speaking, you feel like you never even knew that subject. And he was ta- I, I turned on the TV in the middle of his message, and he was just happened to be on to him, and he was teaching on tithing, and he had what like, only he can do. And I, I couldn't even duplicate his message. That's why I love him. He's so different than me. But he's got this big bag, and it's full of dimes. <laughs> and, you know, you know, his congregation, I don't know how many people there are. It's just huge, multiple thousands. And he's walking through the congregation, and he's throwing dimes. <laughs> and he goes, for 10 cents, you can make God your partner. <laughs> and you know he only the way he can do it like i couldn't even duplicate it you'd be like that's not a good message like you know it's a great message <laughs> uh, when he got done you're like man i would be stupid to not tithe <laughs> you know and he started talking about what god does for 10 cents <laughs> and i was like that is an amazing message and so you know uh, anyway so we should pray I, st- I have till 2.30, right? But, okay. But <laughs> let, let me give you three rules. Never tell a preacher he can take as long as he wants. Never tell your mechanic you don't care how much it costs. <laughs> and never tell your carpenter you don't care how long it takes. Right. Those are the three rules of life, right? Well, I don't care how long that takes. Oh, you don't, I don't care what that costs. Well, I can find a bunch more stuff wrong with that piece of junk you own. <laughs> and I don't care how long it takes. I preach the eternal gospel. <laughs> I definitely, my mouth could outlast your butt. I guarantee you. <clears throat> I have tested this. I've done things, I've preached so long, people have fallen out of the window, except for I just didn't raise them from the dead. So we're going to pray. So Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing with these folks, and we just pray for your wisdom, and pray for a new dimension of your spirit to invade all of us, all y'all, and me. And Lord, we, we pray that you would, you would visit us, No, that you would that your presence would be, um, you know, whatever you do that we know you're around is good because we know that you're always around, but sometimes we don't feel it. So we'd like to feel that, your presence. And do stuff that only you can do while I'm talking. It's great. And convince these people I'm right about this stuff. (laughs) Good too. Amen. So, um, I want to talk to you about developing your spiritual coefficient, quotient, your spiritual quotient coefficient. Um, and so uh, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 3, some of you may have heard this message, and I'll, I'll try to sh- share some, a couple of new concepts so you won't be bored. Um, but this is the, the story you know well in Acts 3. It's the story of Peter and John going to the temple. And so I'll just read you this, and we'll, we'll just take off from here. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along 
whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms from those who enter the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. We are pastors, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. And, and with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And I've shared on this verse a lot in the last um, year and a half. He was walking, leaping, and praising God. Two, two things I think are, um, are, I would just like to highlight in this verse for, for now. And that is, the first one is the man's asking for a handout. He's got, he literally... He literally has his hand out, it says. And Peter takes his hand that's out and gives him a hand up. And I do think that just because we're business people, I think it's important for us to realize that you know, people don't need a hand out. They need a hand up. Um, you know, poverty is not a lack of money. It's, it's the wrong mindset. And um, I work a lot in Africa, so I, I say that with, with some experience, not as ex- maybe as experienced as you. But um, the, main, the main part of this scripture is this, that he walked, he leaped, and he praised God. He walked, he got physically well, he leaped, he got emotionally well, and he praised God. And um, this afternoon, I want to talk about the, the uh, tri-dimensional way of thinking, that we, are actually, that we actually think tri-dimensionally. And, that, um, and I, I want to illustrate it this way. IQ is the brain's ability to process information. EQ is the soul or the heart's ability to process information. And SQ is the, your, your, your spirit's ability, your spirit. I'm talking about your spirit. And by the way, this is a simple concept, but um, it's important to note that your, your body is the temple of two spirits. You have your spirit and you have the Holy Spirit. And the only reason I make a distinction is because... Um, I've heard people teach that differently. I, I'm not sure what they're thinking, but the Holy Spirit lives in your body because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. By the way, you can write all this down, but it's on my website. You can actually get the PowerPoint if you want it and the notes. Um, just go to KV Ministries and um, look uh, at the top header, and if you click on, um, I think it says teaching, you can click down the notes, and it'll give you the PowerPoint and everything. You just download it. Um, so uh, so you're, you have your spirit and you have the Holy Spirit. It's important to make that distinction because obviously your spirit is not God. Your spirit is your spirit. And your spirit interacts with God, but your spirit is not God. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the fact that you think tridimensionally. Um, IQ, these are, these are things that you would know probably, um, but IQ and in, uh, intellectual quotient, is the number that represents a person's reasoning ability measured using problem-solving tests as compared to the statistical norm or average for their age taken as 100. I don't actually know what all that means. <laughs> I just know that if you have below 100, you need, you need some help, and above that, you're all right. And, and I've never had an IQ test because I don't want to know. <laughs> But people that know me, they say you are an overachiever. And I don't know that that's a compliment. (laughs) 
And um, EQ, this is, uh, how many of you have read any books lately on EQ? It's a very popular subject in the last 10 years. Emotional intelligence. Have anyone read? There's a lot of business books on EQ. And uh, this is this definition. Actually, what I did as um, I got on the web, and I, there's about five definitions of EQ. And what I did is I, I tried to um, kind of boil them, took everything they had in common and, and put them into one kind of one uh, paragraph. So this is basically... Uh, what EQ is. And it's the ability to perceive emotion, integrate emotion to facilitate thought, understand emotion, regulate emotion, and promote personal and corporate growth. And so, um, and if you, if you haven't uh, read any book on EQ, I'd really suggest that you do. There's, they're, mo- they're mostly secular books, but I feel like they're very good. And it's, um, obviously, there's always mixture whenever you read a book that isn't Christian. You have to you know, because the, a lot of them don't acknowledge that you have a spirit, so they're pushing a lot of stuff into two categories where we would spread it to three, if that makes sense, in the way they teach it. But, but I, I like the fact that um, emotional intelligence is, in fact, um, I was reading, I wish I could think of the name of the book that I read last. I really liked it. And we're talking about the fact that when they, they did this, this team did a survey on leaders of um, Fortune 500 companies. And I'm sorry, I won't remember the exact statistics, so all I remember is the concept. But the concept was that when they did, when they tested them for IQ and EQ, that what they found is that most of the Fortune 500 company leaders, the leaders of the companies that were really successful, they had a a very high IQ, and most of them had very normal EQ. No, very high EQs and very normal IQs. Like most of them were not IQ brilliant, but their ability to perceive what the customer needed emotionally is what, and th- what their employees needed emotionally was what actually propelled them into a place of prominence. And so that's pretty, that's pretty important. And there's lots of tests they do um, about that. Anyway... For the sake of time, because I'm really supposed to be talking about this, this is spiritual um, quotient. The ability, this is my definition, the ability to perceive, no, the ability to discern, perceive, and judge the spiritual dimensions that are at work in and around you and manage this realm towards a positive outcome. And um, I, first of all, I, I used to say this about, Christi- about prophetic people, but I think it fits all Christians uh, it just manifests a little differently. And that's this. I believe that all Christians are environmentally sensitive. When I say environmentally sensitive, I'm not using the word environment in the way that, that uh, a non-Christian would use that. I'm saying that Christians... Well, let, me, let, me, let me put it differently because I want to challenge you. I believe that all Christians should be environmentally sensitive. Now, by that, I don't mean... Um, overly sensitive. I don't mean be sick because of what's in the air. But I think the, that the ability, part of SQ is the ability to perceive the spiritual climate that is being, um, that, that, that's being created by the people that are in a specific uh, metron. So I'm like, okay, so how many of these terms am I going to explain to you? Um, Metron means your sphere of influence. We actually don't have an English word 
that actually uh, the word metros in the in the Greek is the is the word. But we don't we don't actually the the New Age people call it an aura. <laughs> the struggle with that is when you use that word, you get connected to the New Age people. But Christians don't actually have a word for the actual definition of metron. But it means this: it means your sphere of influence. So everyone has a sphere of influence. Um, the the more authority and favor you have, the bigger your sphere of influence. The way the, the way I can <laughs> this is just an illustration, okay? So some people's sphere of influence may be the size of them. Like the only thing they have authority to manage is them. And therefore, when they come into your presence, this is a metaphor, okay? This is a little bit metaphoric. They would have to get this close to you for you to actually for them to actually affect your environment. Because their sphere of influence is so small. Does that make sense? Other people, if you if you are the president, let's let's use a, a great example from the Old Testament. If you're the king of a country in the Old Testament, it says that when when the um, when Israel had a righteous king, they all served God. It didn't say they pretended to, it says they did. When they had a wicked king, they all served idols. Isn't that interesting? Now, we know that when it says all, that the Bible teaches us that there were some exceptions. There were some people who didn't do either. There were some people who didn't serve God when they had a good king. There were some people who didn't serve idols when they had a bad king. Does that make sense? So when the Bible, in that, in that case, when the Bible says all, it's making a general broad stroke you know, statement. But the point is this. When they had a king... Remember what Romans 13 says? It says, all authorities from God. When they had a king that loved God, because the king's authority came from God, his metron was as big as the country. And so the people were environmentally sensitive to the king's relationship with God, and it affected the way they thought. Now, does it mean that I have to do with the king? Does it mean if the king serves God, I'm I'm naturally going to serve God? No, it just means that because of the metron, because of the influence that he has in the realm, in the environment, and if I could just be a little bit spiritual, like because God protects his people with angels, and angels are coming and going, and Holy Spirit's hovering over this Old Testament king, he's not in the king in those days, but he's around the king, People that are in that, people are experiencing that climate, and if their environment and their environment is sensitive, even though they don't know it, and so they're more apt to serve God because that's what's in the air. Does that make sense? And when they had a wicked king, could they serve God when they had a wicked king? Of course, it doesn't take away your will. It just means there's a current going this way, and if you don't proactively go, I'm not. Listen, I'm a counterculture person when the culture's going the wrong way. If I don't proactively do that, like if I just get in my boat and don't row, I'm going down the path of hell because that's the current that's in my metron. Does that make sense? And so um, emotional, spiritual intelligence, a part of spiritual intelligence is the ability to perceive the environment. 
And I, I would even say, in fact, we'll talk more about this in a minute. But you can get really good at this. Like, you can actually, if you pray into this, you can actually get the gift of distinguishing spirits. I am like two, three slides ahead of myself now. You can get the gift of distinguishing of spirits, and the gift of distinguishing of spirits is not the gift of distinguishing evil spirits. It's the gift of distinguishing spirits, both human spirits, because you have a spirit besides the Holy Spirit, and evil spirits. And if you get really good at it, it helps you in interviews. Because if I'm a spirit and soul and a body, but my spirit is the most powerful part of my triune being, I mostly want to know what's going on with that part. But if I don't have distinguishing of spirits, I make really bad employee decisions because I'm judging people on two dimensions and not the dimension that is most dominant in them. Whether it be good or evil, by the way. And also, it's below the conscious level, so they don't know what they don't know. But if you, know, if you have the gift of distinguishing of spirits, you know what they don't know. I don't know if you got that, but... So, um, so that's the uh, definition. You know, it sounds. I wanted it to sound really intelligent, because I just in case my IQ is lower than normal, <laughs> my writing ability is better than normal. So I'm like, at least I can sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, so turn to First Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll tell you what I just already said. First um, Corinthians chapter 12. I just want to. All the young guys don't use paper Bibles. Drives me crazy. I don't think they're really Christians. <laughs> I may not even use my Bible, but when I preach, I have to have it with me. There's just something about it. It's like I, I just have this fear that I'm going to need a verse, and I'm not, I'm not going to know how to find it on my iPad, and I'm going to look like I have a lower IQ than I really do. Um, verse 1 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Are you there? Okay, oh, it's up there if you didn't. I want to read from verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 4. Um, <clears throat> I, I want you to think about what the operative word is. Okay, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, the, the operative word is the word that repeats itself. Okay, so, and you can, you'll see some of it up there, but I'm going to probably read more than what's up there. How we, what are we, to verse 6 there. Um, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Through another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same one spirit. To a, by another, effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all things, distributing each one individually as he wills. What's the common? The word same. And um, Um, the reason for the word same there, the reason why he keeps using the word same is because um, the first three verses <coughs> says no one can say Jesus is accursed if they know the Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord, etc. 
except by the Spirit. And what he's doing is he's teaching polytheists, or actually, he's teaching people who are polytheists, who are actually moving in the gifts of the Spirit, but they have wrong doctrine. They have right experience, wrong doctrine. And so they think that the gift of prophecy is one, one God, the gift of wisdom is another God, the gift of miracles is another God. And so he's saying, listen, you guys, your experience is right, your theology is wrong. And so he's teaching them that that person who moves in the gift of prophecy and that person who moves in the gift of wisdom, they actually have the same Holy Spirit. But for, what, but for our, um, <clears throat> our application today, what I wanted to do is show you um, a few things. One is, it says that there, if you look at verse 4, it says there are gifts, let's see, yeah, there are gifts, which are spiritual abilities, there are ministries, which are spiritual occupations, and there are effects, which are spiritual accomplishments. Okay, follow me for a minute. So one gift can have a different occupation and a different outcome. Same gift. In other words, I can have the gift of prophecy, and it can operate with it can operate it can operate in the occupation of um, healing ministry, or it can operate in operation of mechanic. It can ha- it can have it can have a different occupation. The same gift can be employed by something else. And it can have a different effect, which is an outcome. Are you following me? This is, I know this is, sounds really simple. It's really important for what I'm about to share with you. And if you've heard it before, it's a good repeat for you. So it, the, what I never understood is, or what, I, or what I learned from Bill, what I never understood before I met Bill, is that, that I thought the, the gifts of the Spirit had one occupation and one effect. And what I learned from Bill is the same gift that we're using inside the walls of the church has one occupation inside the walls of the church and one kind of effect inside the walls of the church. Let's say it has ten effects, but you understand for sake of illustration. When I move it outside the walls of the church, when I move it into the political realm, it has a different, same gift, has a different occupation and a different effect. When I move it into my repair shop, same gift, has a different occupation and another different effect. And all, all I, I can, when I move the same gift from occupation to occupation, it has a different effect. And all I have to do is take the gift. So if I receive the gift of the, the gift of word of knowledge, if I receive the word of knowledge, the gift, the Holy Spirit gift of word of knowledge, I can use that gift and change its occupation. I can hire it over here. I can hire it over here. I'm using the word hire as a people be careful how you say things on Facebook, but I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about I can I can I can I can employ it over here. You know, uh, Peter said, um, employ the gifts that God has given you. I can employ it over here, and it can change uniforms and come to work over here, and it can do a different occupation over here with a different effect. And the gift, and I could say, okay, I want you to come over here to work with me. Okay, I own a repair shop, and I, and I own a stock exchange. I, I, I own a, uh, you know, a, an insurance company. And so I'm like, I need you to work part-time at both places. Gift, Mr. Gift, I need you to work over here at my repair shop. And then in the evening, I need you to work over here at, my, at, at the stock exchange. I can take Mr. Gift, and I can put them in a suit over here, and it's the same gift has a different occupation and a different effect. Same gift. 
and I can take him over here and put him in my repair shop, and I can. And now, Mister Gift has a different occupation and a different effect, but it's the same gift. And all I have to do is is begin to expect. Keyword: I begin to expect that God is going to use this gift to help me in my job or my family or whatever. We're talking about business now. Does that make sense? And so, um, <clears throat> I, um, I owned a repair shop. I owned several repair shops, actually. But I think I owned seven. But, um, I, but my job, when I, when I started in the automotive business, my father-in-law actually helped me in my automotive business, Kathy's dad. And um, he was, a, he was a, a troubleshooter. He was the, probably one of the top troubleshooters in the United States. And this is before the days of computer and that sort of thing. So it was a pretty big deal. And so I was trained by him as a young man, and I, that was my main, every, every shop I worked in, I was the main troubleshooter. In other words, um, my job was to figure out what was wrong with your car, and someone else could fix it. It wasn't that I couldn't fix it, because I was a really good mechanic too, but I was, I was ex- extraordinary at figuring out what was wrong with people's cars. And very few shops had an actual very good troubleshooter. So, and um, and what I, when I met Bill, I was probably five years into my career. And, um, and, and I told you that Bill taught, Bill taught us that the, the kingdom goes wherever we go. And he taught us, and then uh, the second thing he taught us, or that I remember, was he taught us about the gifts of the Spirit. He spoke one year, the very first year I met Bill, he took one year to go through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. The first, first year he was at, this is called Calvary Chapel at the time. And I remember learning about the word of knowledge. Like he taught us that a word of knowledge is information you got by the Spirit. You could have got it some other way, but you got it by the Spirit. That's, that's currently true. So I could get your name from word of knowledge. And how many understand I got your name? You know your name. So, you know, prophecy is foretelling and foretelling. Prophecy is about the future. But word of knowledge is something that's currently true. So he was teaching us that stuff, and we were using word of knowledge for what we use it for here. It's like we can get word of knowledge for somebody who's sick. And we practiced it different in a small church. We would pray for somebody who was sick, and we would diagnose them with word of knowledge. Not always, but that's what we would try to do. We'd like, okay, this is what's wrong with you, and Jesus is going to heal you. Now we kind of do it more broadly, like does somebody have a problem with their right knee? You know, So it's, it's a little bit more general because there's so many people. But so I learned that, and I and I remember now. This is a this is guy is a troubleshooter by career. I've been doing it for years, so I'm naturally thinking, if I can get word of knowledge for this guy's bad knee, then I wonder if Holy Spirit knows what's wrong with the car. Now I wasn't saying anything to anybody because because see that was a different that was a different occupation and a different accomplishment. But I'm like, I wonder, I mean, at first I was really wondering, like, does Holy Spirit know anything about cars? I know it sounds silly right now, but I'm like, okay, he didn't make a car. He made you. So, I mean, it's, it's, I had some logic to, I'm not sure if he does. I know it's silly, sounds insanity to me now, but, so I would, um, and so um, we lived in a little town, and there was 22 repair shops, but uh, within a year, I had the reputation in our repair shop. Like, if you, if you can't figure out what's wrong with your car, you take it to Chris's shop. So I spent, you know, 10 hours a day 
diagnosing cars that other shops couldn't fix. And some of them were great mechanics, but they just they weren't good diagnosticians. So, so I started pulling the word of knowledge into my occupation. So this, um, I have to tell you kind of how I did it. Is this boring? No. So, okay. We had, uh, so if you had a problem with your car, we had a one-hour minimum. So if, in other words, the deal was, what happened, what happened to us is people would, you know, people would be Joe's customer, but when they have a hard problem, they come to Chris. And that, you know, that kind of sucks. Like, I get all the tough stuff, and then when you got the gravy, you go back to Joe. So I'm like, okay, we charge one-hour minimum. If I find out what's wrong in 10 minutes, it still costs you one hour. You're not paying for my time. You're paying for what I know. And so what I would do is I – so, so then I started learning that I could actually get what's wrong without using my equipment. I could ask Holy Spirit, and he would tell me. But that felt dishonest because people were paying me for an hour. <laughs> now, I think totally different about that now, but at the time, I'm like – you know, I should, I should put some effort so I could charge them an hour. Otherwise, it feels like I'm charging for words of knowledge. <laughs> so like, sorry, I'm just trying to ease you into how I got there. So I would put in a half an hour using my, or maybe 40 minutes. I'd try. Like, I'm going to use my I, IQ. I'm going to use my IQ, my experience and all that. And oftentimes, to be honest, you know, seven out of ten, eight out of ten times, I'd fix it that way. Like, I figured it out. Uh, I know what's wrong with this. I've had this problem before. And I'd use my, you know, my, my training, my experience, my equipment, and I would fix it. But if I couldn't fix it, in 40 minutes, I would ask Holy Spirit what was wrong. And I still remember the first one that I got right. Because there was a few that, went, that, that I thought was right. And I'll tear the whole car apart, and that wasn't it. So I had to do it for free. I'm like, mm, bad word of knowledge. <laughs> Bad word of knowledge, I just put in two hours later for free because I can't charge a customer for a bad word of knowledge. Hey, Holy Spirit said that was wrong, and that wasn't what was wrong, and I had to start all over. But I remember, I remember specifically, this is when computer cars, 1979, when cu- computer cars were just beginning to come out, like, and nobody had diagnostic equipment for them. Even the dealers, most of the dealers didn't. So it's really weird stuff would happen. you drive along, they'd die, and they'd tow it in and start, and, you know, oh, my God, we're tracing that chasing that i'd chase cars for a month you know then i would take them home and drive them till it died and i have my equipment with me and it was just crazy so and and, and because uh, you know i was a diagnostician people are bringing me this stuff that's you know it's like and we live in the mountains so we're not getting much training so anyway so i, re- I still remember this one in particular because i i i had not remembered my word of knowledge idea and i had fought this car for like three days and i'd think I fixed it and the customer would take it and then it would, she'd drive it down the road. It was a woman. And then she'd call me and I'd tow it back and I was paying the tow bills because I, I, I didn't fix it. And I remember one day just sitting there and I'm just really frustrated like, man, I have spent 20 hours on this car. I charged this lady for two hours. I've towed this thing back twice. <laughs> it was one of those deals, you know. I was like so frustrated that I wasn't actually thinking anymore. And I'm thinking, man, I've done everything I can think of, you know. And um, so, so, I think, so I sat there and I thought, oh, you know, I should use Word of Knowledge. This is in the early days. This is like, remember I told you, this first one I remember. I wonder if Word of Knowledge works here. And so I ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's wrong with this car? And instantly I hear, or fairly instantly, like something I wouldn't think. 
He said the diode over, un, under the left fender is bad. Well, first of all, I, I, never ha- I didn't have a book that said there was a diode under the left fender, which is part of my problem, because I didn't have a current enough book. And secondly, I didn't even know what the diode did. So I'm like, okay, if there's a diode under the left fender, <laughs> I'm going to replace it, and I'll pay for it myself if it doesn't fix the problem. And so I climb under there, and I get my light, and I look up in the fender, and the diode is, is there, and the wires are broke off of it. Actually, they're just, they're not completely broke. They're just hanging off, which is why she'd drive down the road, and it quit, and then it'd be all right, and then it'd quit, and be all right. I mean, it was like, they were just hanging. In fact, when I touched it, they fell off. And I'm like, oh, oh this works good. I don't feel guilty for this one, because I already have like 18 free hours in this one, you know. I feel like a genius. And after that, I'm like, I can't say I remembered it every time, but I started, it started becoming more habitual. Like, okay. And then I started to develop a process. Like, okay, 40 minutes. Then I asked Holy Spirit. And what happened is I started using word and knowledge in my business. Does that make sense? It just changed occupations. And um, it's really cool because you, you get to learn. Like people say, well, how do I... Know if I'm hearing the voice of God. Well, if you use word of knowledge in your business, you know if you're right or wrong right away. Because <laughs> you get underneath the fender and there's no diode there. <laughs> you're like, hmm, got that one wrong. And so you practice on cars before you ever practice on people, and it <laughs> makes it a lot more simple. Um, so, um, let's see. What, how am I doing? Oh, my Lord. I'm sorry, I've spent too much time. Um, There's five dimensions to spiritual intelligence, so I'm going to take you through them quickly, okay? And I'll I'll give you one more example. But before I do that, I think there's a picture here. I I think there is. I hope there is in this graphic. Yes, okay. So right here, these are the five senses that that your IQ works off of, right? This is pretty simple. And, and the only reason I'm showing you this is because I, I want to give you a picture of what I'm trying to say. So you have sight, smell, taste, hear, feel. So back to my car illustration. I'm driving down the road, and what I learn as a good diagnostician is to not just use my sight. Because sometimes, most of the time, if a car's been to lots of different places, they've already looked for everything. So I learn, and my father-in-law taught me this, not a Christian, wasn't a Christian, but he taught me, what does it smell like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And sometimes, what does it taste like? When we get a liquid, we're like, oh, that's, oh, that, that's, that's antifreeze. No, that's, not, that's not condensation. That's antifreeze. And so I learned to diagnose cars by using all five senses. Sometimes I'm driving down the road and the person's been complaining, just had it to three shops. I'm like, and the person, you know, the, the shops have tore everything apart. I'm driving down the road, and I hear something. Like, I hear, like, it's like you have to really tune in, because it's like, that something is wrong in the right rear. I can hear it. And I can hear things that I can't yet see. And sometimes I can smell things. That smells like something's burning. So you get the idea. So I train my five senses to diagnose, in my, in my case, cars. Um, so, and, and so th- what I'm trying to teach you right now is that, and I'm saying five senses 
SQ. There's probably a hundred. I'm trying to just connect. I'm trying to connect you with the Spirit's abilities, which I think are more than twelve gifts. If you don't, it just not. A, it's not a place of contention. I don't. I wouldn't argue with you. But, but my point is, is that I I want to connect you with this. Like, you have these. You can start thinking from the from the spirit of your mind. Paul said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So this is all you had before you knew Jesus. You had these. But now you have, and I would propose more than these, but you have, you have, this, you have the ability to think from here. You have the ability to think from another dimension. Now, I'm really just trying to teach you how to think from another dimension. You can use the gifts if you want, but my point really is, is that you can tap into another dimension. What's really cool about this other dimension, for the sake of time, because I'm, I'm not going to have time to take you through it. I'm on page three or something, and we have 25 pages, so we're, we're not going to do much more. But, when I'm tr- what, but, you, but you can get this. Like, this is the most important part. You, when, you tap into this, when you tap into the Holy Spirit's ability, first of all, one really cool thing is the Spirit lives timelessly. He lives outside of time. Okay, well, think about it and go, okay, let's just think practically for a minute. If you want to make a decision on an investment, and, you, 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 and you're like, okay, I need to know how that stock is going to trade six months from now. Well, I propose to you that you could tap into the timeless zone, and the Holy Spirit knows what's going to happen with that stock in five months, because in his world, it's already happened. So, so, number one, spiritual intelligence is timeless. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit into, it doesn't, it's not limited by the laws of physics. So time and space do not, do not limit SQ as they do IQ and EQ. Time and space do not limit SQ. So you can tap into the timeless part of God when you're doing stuff. Secondly, you can tap into, the, and this is, you know, we can do this differently, but right now I'm teaching it differently. You can attach, you can attach yourself to the, the all-knowing part of God, which I would call the mind of Christ. Like, God is all-knowing. Like, he knows everything about everything. He knows all things. He, it, it, in fact, we'll spend the rest of eternity learning the depths of God, according to Ephesians 3. God knows everything. So you can tap into... The, the timelessness of the Spirit, you can tap into the all-knowing. So, you, you know, Holy Spirit is Google on steroids. Like God knows everything. I know this sounds crazy, but God knows, like, you know, I, I, know, I know we're... The frustrating part is, I, I illustrate this, but I want you to, like, have an aha moment. I don't know what your business is, but God knows your business better than you do. Much better than you do. I don't care if you're like you invented something brand new. God knew it before you invented it, and He knows what it's going to look like 100 years from now when it comes to its full maturity. He knows how it'll be used. You don't know any of that, but you have access to it. The difference is, you're, okay. So the question is, na- the natural question is, how do I get access to it? You're saying I have access to it, but it doesn't happen to me. Okay, you create expectation for it. How you get access is faith. Everything in, the, everything in the kingdom, no, no, let me just back up. Everything in the spirit works by faith. 
You should write that down because that's, that's not in the notes that you'd get off my website for this message. Now, when I say the spirit, I mean the demonic realm and the kingdom all work by faith. Fear is faith in the wrong spirit. When you are afraid, it means you believe a lie. You can tell how much faith you have by how much fear you have. You have lots of fear. You have a high level of faith that you put in the wrong kingdom. Are you, are you following me? So the way you tap in, and this is simple. Okay, let's, let's leave you with something that you can go home and try. The way you tap in is you begin to believe that God knows what's wrong with his car. You know, well, that sounds intellectual. It might start out that way, but when you start to like remind yourself, okay, God knows everything, so God knows about diodes, he knows about electronics, he knows about computers, he knows everything. Like God knows every cell, every atom, he knows about he knows about everything. He knows about things no one will won't discover till we get on the other side. He created everything. He knows about everything. So when you when you have a, a challenge in your business, you start to create expectation. Like, okay, first of all, I know God I know God knows about this. So how do I get access to it? I start to have a sense that he wants to tell me. So part two is God knows. Part one is God knows. I have to come to that part. That's pretty simple. If you have a couple experiences, so you can know things here, but your heart needs to know it. Like that diode thing, I remember that. I think, I mean, I diagnosed hundreds of cars by the Spirit. I remember one. Why? It was the first one. It, it, was, the, it was the monument when I crossed the Jordan River. That was the monument. I remember that one because that opened the door to, hey, this works here. I don't remember any of the other ones. But And I use that word of knowledge all the time. So, number one, God knows. Number two, he wants to tell me. That's important. That's, that's huge. I, he wants to tell me. Okay, number three is, I have to figure out how he speaks to me. Which could be different for different people. Sometimes you get a picture in your mind. You know, like you're thinking about what to invest in and you get this picture. Okay, it's like hieroglyphics. It's like you have to learn how to read hieroglyphics. Or, you know, sign language. It's like people do this thing with their, with their fingers. It's like, and other people who know that language can sign back. It's like, sometimes you have to learn the language. It's like, okay, you say to God, hey God, what do you think about that? And he goes, and you go, okay, I know he spoke to me, but I don't know what it says. Right? That was the problem with Nebuchadnezzar, right? He knew God spoke to him. He had a dream. Didn't know what it meant. He absolutely knew it was God because he's willing to kill everybody around him who couldn't tell him a story, couldn't tell him the interpretation. He, he saw God do this. He knew, he knew that there was something in there that was going to change his life. He just didn't know what it meant. He needed someone to, to, to interpret the language, right? Same thing with Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh has a dream. Listen, I would propose that kings dream all the time. But Pharaoh has a dream that he specifically knows has something to do with his destiny because he saw God do this. But he didn't know what it meant. So he doesn't need somebody who has dreams. He needs somebody who can interpret this. So you need somebody. So, so, you, so you have to learn how to interpret this. You have to learn how God talks to you. You know, some of you have, are multilingual. God's very multilingual. 
And so, you know, okay. So, so, so third thing is, you have to, you, first thing, I need to know God knows. Number two, I need to really believe he wants to tell me. Thirdly, I have to learn his language. So when he talks to me, I know what he's saying. And then fourthly, and this is probably the toughest one, I have to take a risk. I have to take a risk. So what does it look like when I take a risk? I take the diode off and nothing's wrong. I don't go, God doesn't want to talk to me. God doesn't know. I'll never learn this language. I go, okay, I got, I got one of those signs wrong. I'm going to try again. And it's just like anything. Like, you know, you, you, you learned, you know, we all, you know, we, none of us could talk when we were born. We talked, this baby talk. And someone taught us how to talk. Taught you how to talk. And you learned little by little. And, you know, if you've raised children, you know that they get frustrated when they're trying to get something. And you say, you have to use your words. And they, they can't remember what the word was. And you help them through it. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's the, it sounds really silly, but it's not much different with Holy Spirit. You don't always get it right the first time. You don't always, okay, that, I think that's, but you know what? You're not going to get it right unless you try. And if you try and you get it wrong, don't go back to he doesn't know, he doesn't want to tell me. No, no, those are assumptions that you need. So you need that assumption to create, to, to have faith. And faith is how you're going to get everything. So if you kill that, you can forget about learning the language. <laughs> if you don't have expectation, you can forget about learning any language because nothing's going to happen. The whole spirit world operates on the highway of faith. Yeah. You have to come to your business and say, God's going to do something today. Yeah. Just as if you were teaching, you know, I, any, any of you that have taught, like, you know, I came here this, today. And I talked to Andy ahead of time. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to teach? I step up to the podium. I, obviously, I have something else I need to say. So, so I'm thinking, just like all of us, I'm like, okay, Andy has a sense of where we're going. I also have this other sense. I have to somehow marry those. I'm going to have to take some time from this to do this. What's happening? I'm thinking about what's Holy Spirit want. All I do is take that into my business. <laughs> it's not hard. I'm just not accustomed to doing it. So I walk in my business today, and I, you know, I own an auto parts store. It's like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? And I'm not just thinking he wants to heal a person. See, this is the problem. When I walk in the business, I'm thinking, okay, who do you want to heal today? Then I have expectations he's going to heal somebody today. But if I think, but if I also think, and if I add to that, how much profit you want to make today? How are we going to make profit today? You know, well, that sounds wrong. No, it's not. He told us, you know, talent story, the minor story, that's all about money. I was reading, had a dream about Luke 14 last night, two nights ago. It was about a man building a tower. He looks stupid if he doesn't calculate the cost. I mean, you know, I don't know how many of the parables, I think, I think someone counted 70% of all the parables are about money. I don't know if that's exactly right, but it's a very high percentage. It's, God's not, he does not, it's people who have a problem with money, not God. You have no problem with money. He doesn't have any problem with you making money, providing you have the right heart. He doesn't have any problem with you having stuff as long as it doesn't have you. And so, and you know, that's another story, but generosity is the key to that. Generosity, key to prosperity. Faith, the key to all the gifts, to all access to God, comes through faith. Are you with me? Okay, I've taken more time. You gave me a little bit more time. Why don't you stand and let me just pray for you. How's that sound?
Okay, so you access the gifts by faith. You receive the gifts through impartation. Okay? So you, maybe you all have all the gifts awesome. I operate in four or five of them really, really fluently at a high level and operate on some of them at not too high of a level. And there's a couple I don't operate on at all. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which ones in case you need it. Um, but but I, I, I believe that the Lord's given me the ability to impart, especially five or six gifts that I operate in pretty, pretty well, at a pretty high level. I'm not saying someone doesn't operate more. I'm not comparing myself to someone else. I'm just trying to get you to have faith for impartation. That's it. I'm not trying to brag or anything like that. If it feels that way. I'm, I don't mean it that way. So I'd just like you to put your hands out. And even if you have these gifts, why not just get another level of it or whatever? So, Holy Spirit, I just release right now over each person. And what I need from you guys, by the way, is I need expectation. If you're like, no, he has to touch me, you won't get it. Not because I have to touch you, but because you think I do. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Okay. So, so, I just need you to expect something to happen. That's all I need you to do. So, Holy Spirit, right now, I release the gift of prophecy, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the distinguishing of spirits. And I release the mind of Christ over each person. That that, um, I see it like this block. I'll just describe to you what what I feel like the Lord's opening. I see this room. I see your, I see our minds like this, like this room. It's just a picture right now, but it has three doors. And I see one door locked. Like um, it's a, like a mental block. And I see the Lord coming and giving you keys to open up this room. It's the SQ of God. It's the mind of Christ. It's not that you didn't have the ability, because as soon as you received Jesus, you had the mind of Christ. It's just that you didn't go into that room. And so, Holy Spirit, I just release right now the keys to going into that room called the mind of Christ. And that we would think tri-dimensionally. Not dual-dimensionally, but tri-dimensionally. That we'd be able to tap into the eternal mind of God, the wisdom from another age. And that creativity and invention and innovation and investment, troubleshooting problems, solving hard issues, riddles, mysteries, really difficult uh, political problems and city problems and trouble. Really, I just have all these, like, really, what I've seen is, is in like, formulas, like, like algebraic formulas that are really, like, they're, like, ten lines long, like, really complicated situations. And how many of you know that not everything's black and white? Sometimes we get ourselves in these complicated situations. And, and we're like, man, I don't even know how to figure this out. And, and Lord, I just pray for those complex algebraic equations of life that you would come in and you're the, you're the awesome mathematician and you know how to solve every complex situation that we find ourselves in or our friends find themselves in or our customers find themselves in 
or somebody that we're supposed to serve finds himself in. And Lord, we pray, I pray right now that the gifts that we've had, that the gifts that we've carried into this room before I prayed, that they would take on, that they would get new jobs. And that that would yield new outcomes. In Jesus' name.